welcome to the Experiment Podcast, where we talk about life and business and how they daily intersect. I'm your host, Laura Doughty. Let's get to some real talk. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much. I'm super excited for today's podcast, and I have two amazing people with a wealth of not only knowledge, but also years of experience in the business. And I also love that from a coaching perspective and from Monarch and what we do, because we work with clients kind of all over the place and my coaching clients are all over the place. We're bringing two different perspectives here as well today because, because of COVID and quite honestly, the three of us long before COVID were already into that remote mindset. So Welcome, Miss Lizzie and Mr. Bill Hayes. Um, I am super excited to have you both here and appreciate your time. And today's topic is really about the importance of being a, your position in the market as a buyer. Uh, I know that you both are strong listing agents, but it is the buyers right now <laughs> that are struggling. And when it comes to struggling, I would love Lizzie for you because you are in the state of Texas and have lived there most of your life and just share with everybody, give us an update on what's going on and, you know, just let us know how the market is and all of that. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to meet with you guys. (laughs) Um, I have been in the real estate business for 16 years here in Texas. I was born and raised, I'm a Texas girl. And I know El Paso, Texas, which is far west tip of Texas and the DFW area as well. I live in the DFW area. Dallas, the market, those of you that aren't. Yes, Dallas, Fort Worth, (laughs) Texas, yes. And I, the market, believe it or not, it, it's, it's still, it's still busy, but boy, has it switched over to that seller's market. Inventory is low everywhere. Today, right now I'm sitting in El Paso. Just got here today. I have a buyer moving here from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I came to, to meet her so we can look at homes. In preparing her, She's owned her home in Albuquerque for 14 years. So she hasn't been on the buying side for quite a while. It's a different game now. Inventory is low here as well. And so I had to prepare her. We're going to look at a lot of houses. We may have to look at some new builds. And and if you like it, you got to move fast. You just have to move fast. You have to have your offer attractive. The house is $250,000. Don't come in with a $225,000 bid. (laughs) It's not going to, it's not, it probably won't even make the table, right? So it is, it it is very competitive right now. What are you seeing, Lizzie, in terms of um, over asking price? I mean, the thing you didn't talk about is all the people from California, they're supposed to be moving to Texas and stuff like that. So it's another yeah. thing you have to tell your buyers from New Mexico is you're going to have <laughs> California sticker shock as you're competing against all this money from California coming in. Um, what's yeah. That like? and, well, and it's funny that you mentioned that because this particular buyer, when I sold her first house, when she moved from El Paso to Albuquerque, it was to a California buyer. <laughs> and she was so worried. Oh, I, I think I, we're never going to get that listing price. I think we're asking too much. That California buyer 
Swooped it up at listing price. Silly California buyers. <laughs> and so I had to also talk to her about that. Those California buyers are, you know, they come to Texas. Boy, that's a bargain here for them. The market is just, um, just nothing like California. And so they have the ability and the resources to swoop in and take those, those, uh, you know, bids right away from, from us. So we, um, we talked about that as well as cash is king. Always and forever. Yep. <laughs> Always we're, and forever. We're seeing a lot of cash buyers too. Investors have been lurking about as well. And so, you know, when you got cash and when you're not, it's not a sticker shock for you, but it's, it just makes it even harder for, for the, for the buyers to get their bid in. So Bill, because you're in the San Diego, La Jolla, massive luxury area and and the prices go from low one hundreds up to tens of millions. How are you preparing your buyers for putting in off? Well, this market, similar to what Lizzie was saying in Texas, but like just on steroids in in, in our area and, and, you know, across California in many respects, it's just crazy. And so uh, we're seeing houses that are listed for $900,000 going for 1.28 or, yeah. or $1.5 million houses going for 1.75. And so these days, not only do buyers need to qualify with the bank, they need to qualify with this market. As you and Lizzie were saying, you know, cash is king. They need to have not only enough money for a down payment, but they need to be prepared to push above that asking price with cash. Be prepared to waive the appraisal contingency against broker advice, by the way, and waive their their loan contingencies in some cases I've seen. Waive the inspection contingencies. That's insanity in a normal market. But similar to what we saw in the Bay Area about six or seven years ago, that's what it's taking in many respects um, in San Diego and into Riverside and Orange Counties to to get your offer in first position. So let me just for the public out there as a as a you know, someone that's potentially looking at purchasing property. If you go directly to the listing agent, their fiduciary is to the seller. So there is dual agency and there is a way to do dual agency. I'm not going to get into right, wrong, whatever my thoughts are on that, but you just need to be informed on who is representing who. And from a buyer's perspective, if you're not utilizing the listing agent, then you're going to hire a buyer's agent to represent you in that process. And in every state, there is a form that is called the buyer's representative agreement. It comes in different languaging, but basically that's what it looks like. And as Bill is saying, as agents, we are now responsible for taking you to a property and not only taking care of our time, your time time. and the seller's time. Are you prepared to pull the trigger on that property? And that isn't like, oh, are you ready to buy? That is literally, as Bill was saying, how much cash do you have? Are you prepared to put in an offer that is over ask and potentially over the appraisal value? I mean, we all remember 2006, 2007, 2008, and where that positioned us. So it literally is, as Bill was saying, 
against broker advice, which again, I totally agree with him, but the market is the market. The market determines the price. Us as agents, all we can do, we're not, you know, we don't have a crystal ball to say, hey, this is what you should or shouldn't do. This is your life. This is your choice. We're just here to provide you with data and facts about where the current market is. So how do you guys, like Lizzie, I know for y'all there, I mean, again, I know that the snowstorm and everything that everybody's gone through has put a massive, like, you know, like you can't even, you know, and for us here in California, COVID, I have agents in, on the East coast in the Southern states, they've been showing properties with no problem. I mean, the amount of peds, Bill, give me the property entry advisory disclosure (laughs) that we have to visitor. Yes. Dash seller (laughs) dash. Anyway. So the legal logistics that we have to go through here still coming up on almost a year to the date. What are we two weeks away from when we were all locked down? Other states, other buyers, other sellers are not experiencing. I don't think in Texas, y'all have the restraints that we do. Can you elaborate on that, Liz? I, I don't think we have them as, as bad as you do. We do have our COVID protocols that we have to follow. We do have the COVID waiver that everybody has to sign. Of course, master mandatory. Uh, they do not want, most sellers don't want more than two people looking at their homes. So realtor, and two others, and that's it. Sometimes the problem, right? First time buyers here in Texas, they like to bring mom and dad. Sure. They like to bring, you know, somebody, an advisor other than their realtor. And so it's, it's, it gets tricky sometimes. And then as the rep, you're playing the patrol cop and okay, these two can come in now. And then after you show the house, you come out and okay, now the next two. And that happens. That's a reality sometimes, right? Uh, you can put your foot down all you want, but if they show up with everybody, they show up with everybody. The COVID, COVID has brought us here in Texas and probably everywhere else, a ton of virtual tours and social media video tours. And that works for some not for most. People still want to walk into the house and look and feel and touch and smell and everything else. And so we, we've got to follow those COVID uh, restrictions. Everybody has a ring doorbell now. So you're walking, if they don't see you coming into their home with a mask on, forget it, you're getting a call. Sure. So, and on that note, you know, I also like to remind people they can also hear everything that you say about the house. So That's right. Remember that. <laughs> just, there. just assume you are being recorded, heard, yep. seen, everything else. Yep. So just wait till you get in the car. <laughs> so you have anything? I always tell. I always house. tell my buyers. All right. If you really like it, tell me later. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me while we're in the house. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So Bill, um, for your, like, do you have a process of how you set your clients up so that when you put your offers in, and, and again, I, and I just want to be clear for everybody, every client is different. Every client is in a different stage. Like Lizzie's talking about first time buyers. They're going to be not ready to pull the trigger. Most of the time, they're always going to be second guessing their decision all of that. And then you've got the more experienced ones that 
are very clear about what's going on in the market. So with that in mind, if you could write a checklist for your perfect buyer and setting them up for a successful received offer to close, what would that look like? Well, today I was working with an agent whose buyer was approved for a loan for $1.8 million. That's a good start. But again, as we talked about a buyer, you almost as an agent have to screen buyers too, that, that right now, unfortunately, VA and FHA loans are pretty difficult to uh, get acceptances on because we're literally seeing homes receive double digit offers on a regular basis is almost expected. And so usually you're going to see something with 20 or 30 or 40% down cash and the VA and FHA buyers, which are typically the, the first time home buyers are just going to have difficulty overcoming that setting them up for success to me is setting expectations and making sure that they're, they're looking in the right areas and not looking in places that they're just not going to be able to afford at the end of the day, because they're not going to, they're not going to be able to compete with the market. Again, they're not qualified for that market. And if, if they're insistent on a certain community and I don't see that that's going to work out because of where the market is right now in this moment, I'll put them on a back burner. And if they go find another agent who's going to continue to, to take their time and, and spend with them, you know, so be it because you know, there's, there's real estate selling every day. And, and um, yeah. I got to work with people that are qualified for this market. So basically setting their expectations. Also on the flip side, working with the listing agent, building a rapport. You know, my, yeah. my background is more about being somewhat of substance and genuine and, and, and you know, just very conversational and not the cheesy sales guy or pushy right. BSer, you know? And so I've been reading forums where at the end of the day, for the benefit of buyers, it very much boils down to who is that agent that's representing you and how do they present you to that listing agent and how do they present themselves yes. to the listing agent? Cause what I'm telling my agents that I manage like 750 agents down here in San Diego is, is, is that as a listing agent, you need to kind of be selective of who you pick in all these offers in terms of the sell, the, the buyer and in terms of the, the buyer's agent, do you really want to work with, these agents that are just so pushy that you don't even want to answer their phone call because you can't stand talking to them. That's just, that's yeah. not the agent you want to be to get your offer accepted in this, this right. environment. You know, that's a really, really valuable criteria check for a buyer is if you decide to work with an agent. And when I say that, I really hope that at the end of this conversation that consumers out there really understand that working with multiple agents is not in your best interest. And yes, I know I'm a broker. I've been in the business since 97. And so of course, I'm probably going to tell you that, but it, it really isn't. <laughs> so the, what's really valuable is having a question of that buyer's agent is, you know, tell me what is your relationship with other agents in the market? Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, and here's the thing, they're going to go, Oh, it's great. Well, okay. So how do you negotiate with them? And what Bill's talking about a hundred percent, there are agents that have this, I don't even, I want to put it in an era. It's just an uneducated mentality of being an adversary with the other agent. That yes. is not our role. It's just not. We are the fiduciary to the client and it is our job to represent your best interest at all times 
And your best interest is for us to have fantastic communications with the other agent. So if you've got, if you're working with an agent that is like all, and I'm, and I'm sorry, guys, like I'm turning this into a masculine thing, but it's not, there is, I started to say all puffed up chest, like, you know, but there are just (laughs) as many women that can get really nasty, (laughs) you know? Yeah. That too. Those are, you know, we're in California. We won't go there on that one anyway. So, you know, what about, do you, what do you think about that, Lizzie? I mean, is, how do you, how is it there for y'all? Oh, I totally agree. And just like in high school, you got clicks. You got clicks, right? There's the mean girls and there's the jocks and there's the nerds and there's, right? It's very, it's, it can be very clickish. And, but, but bottom line, when I run into another agent that is, clickish and maybe or or standoffish or just not a good communicator you gotta learn how to read the other agent if you have the ability to adjust to the personality in front of you you're already winning that's, if you that's don't very key. that's really i love how you said that to forget adjust it to the other personality you have to adjust to the other personality if you don't give you're not going to get i looked Of course, me, I went and I looked to see who she was. And she had a picture, a darling picture that I found of her online with her home pet. Boom, there was my in. Next time I talked to her, I casually mentioned my dog barking. Oh, hold on, my, my puppy just walked in the room. Hold on, whatever. Whatever it took to make this journey for my client a good one. And so I love that. It was a relatable topic. Dogs were a relatable topic between the two of us. I wasn't faking it. I'm a dog mom 110% of the way, but I had to find a way to communicate better with that agent so that the transaction would go smoother for my client. Learn to adjust people. I think I I love it. And I think a, a thing to add to a buyer's checklist is to ask the agent if they are a pet lover. I mean, we're not going to be discriminatory against any other animals, but the three of us are dog lovers. (laughs) I I can tell you that I, it would be shocking to me if somebody were nasty on the other side of the transaction and find out that they have dogs, like really love their dogs. That's a whole different podcast. (laughs) Sign me up for that. Sign me up for that one. I told Bill we'd get dogs in here somehow. So you you laid it out. Sign me up. Yeah. I almost missed my flight. I almost missed my flight here because there was a puppy in the airport. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Another piece of the market right now that I think is beneficial to understand is that with agents, it's, you know, getting into escrow is their livelihood. And when you have 28 offers, there's only one agent on the buy side that's getting that commission. And yep. so it is getting right. very competitive as a nice word, nasty being more of a, a realistic word. What I see in agent forums yeah. is, is, is just brutal. It's like they don't know what to do to get their offers accepted. And the stuff yeah. that they're so used to being able to do when they're not competing against anyone isn't working right now. And they're at a loss. And so it's, yeah. it's creating a, a pretty tense environment just amongst agents and then also amongst buyers because yeah. buyers are having this expectation 
that they're used to being able to go to the store and you know yes. oh that Snickers bar is two dollars here you go and and they they take off with whatever yep. they're buying that's not how this works right yep. now yeah you know um, here's no. an example it's, I call it I call it the Hunger Games yeah it, and it, it truly is but Sorry. you know the truth is it is it goes back to what you that word that you use it's it is about setting up the expectation so let's use this as an example so. You're putting in an offer. It's a hundred thousand dollars over ask. You're only keeping in the inspection period to seven days. No appraisal. Close in two weeks, and you lose out. So the best way, yeah. as an agent and/or you as a buyer, to prepare yourself for that is to say before you enter into negotiations, what is my cap? And know that I've always, always believed in kind of a one and done. There are people that love the negotiation game. Well, good luck for that. This is not the market. You will lose out and you're not playing yeah. a game with anybody but yourself. But I have always believed that put your best foot offer forward and move on. If you don't win next. So as emotional as this process is, this is business. This is the largest transaction that most people will ever exchange in or transact in. And it's business. So go in yeah. with, you don't need to be like set. I mean, yeah, you may have fallen in love with that house, but what were you willing to risk for that house? And be very, very clear about that because- if you know that, look, this is the max that I can do. And I know that I can leave all of these cards on the table and know that I've done the best that I can and walk away. There will be another house for you. It may be a few months from now, but it is what it is. So what do you, how do you guys feel about that? Absolutely. Well, agree. Negotiation is an, is an art. And I totally agree with that. You have to be willing to walk away when I'm setting expectations for my buyers, such as the one that I'm going to be working with this weekend, if you're serious, let them know how serious you are. You really want that house. You truly feel that's your house. What are you willing to offer to get you in that house? If you're not willing to go there, that's not your house. Let's just keep looking. Yeah. You got, you got to be prepared to walk away. Absolutely. I think the other thing that the buyer's agent can do, because right now the process is a little bit jacked up with so many offers coming in. These listing agents aren't prepared to deal with 20 plus offers. They just, it's nothing they've ever seen before. They, and they haven't thought it through yes. typically about, okay, in this situation, how am I managing this? So I totally agree with what Laura and Lizzie are saying that first run, it's, it's, you put your best foot forward. I've always said that that multiple offer situations are a beauty contest and you need to just anticipate that you're in that beauty contest with your first, uh, first shot with that offer. But the key, I think also <laughs> is your buyer's agent needs to find out from that listing agent, what is their process? What are, you know, and even maybe coach that listing agent as to what to expect. And what I'm getting at is buyer's agents out there will try to manipulate the listing agent because that listing agent's getting pulled from all these different directions, from all these different buyer agents. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that some of these agents bring to the table is called an escalation clause. And the escalation clause basically says, I will, my buyer will pay X number of dollars above the 
the next highest offer or the highest offer you get. And all you got to do is show me the highest offer. We'll pay $5,000 over. I've seen $20,000 over, you know, and this is trying to get that seller's attention. But if that listing agent is like me, we don't accept escalation clauses. And it actually is a negative for you to even try to, in my opinion, at least as a listing agent, change the rules in favor of your buyer in a way that no other buyer knows. And so, you know, again, if that buyer's agent wants to talk to the listing agent to understand what their philosophy is about how they're going to run a multiple offer situation, that can give them insight as to how to position themselves when they make that offer. And there's plenty of listing agents out there that will do escalation clauses. Problem is when they get two or three, what do they do? I don't know. I don't take them. But again, you need to understand the rules of the game. Your agent needs to be able to connect with that listing agent in meaningful ways. Beauty contest is, I'm still stuck on that. Um, uh, it's all, there's the, the gowns round. There's the round, there's, the swimsuit competition. Exactly. The swimsuit competition. Oh but like how true. fit are you? It's true. It's no, true. I love it. I've seen as how I run a pageant. Yeah. I'm like, I can relate. I get it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> And you have to make it as easy as possible for that listing agent and that seller to say yes. And right yes. now in this market, and it's money that helps them say yes. Yes, that's right. And please read the listing agent's notes in MLS and know how to deliver that offer to them. Yeah. Well, again, that goes back Lee. to having that relationship I mean, we can just run down a checklist here. It's first of all, are you working and willing to commit your time to a partnership with an agent through a buyer's rep agreement or an agreement that you guys understand that you're both working together? Then are you financially prepared? And if so, meaning prove it, whether it's proof of funds with your cash and legitimate proof of funds where if I was your buyer's agent, I'm calling your bank and saying, here's what I've got. This is what's been shown to me. Is it confirmed? Same with the lender. So as a buyer's agent, it's not only our job to make sure that you're showing up to the table prepared. It's also our job to, when we present that proof of funds or pre-approval letter that it's legit. I mean, y'all think that's a little crazy, but there's fraudulent, all of that rampant. So the other piece is, does your agent have a dog? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> like, we, we can't That's do, the most important piece. We, we can't do the uh, the buyer's letters anymore because of fair housing rules. I want to get to, I want to get to but, that. But oh, like, I know. I know. Dog. <laughs> Yeah. So, but then the, the other part is, you know, when Bill talked about the escalation clause is, is your agent prepared to pre prayer the listing agent for your buyer, you, the buyer. So meaning they should be telling you one, what to expect in the process, come to the table with your best and final offer, however you guys want to arrange that, but then ask your agent, like what conversations are you already having with the listing agent? So that's a rough list, but let's touch on what you just said, Bill, because for many years now, it has been, I don't want to say standard practice, but kind of a, something extra that agents that kind of go above and beyond have incorporated innocently 
um, in my opinion. And again, trying to put the best foot forward for the buyer <laughs> and providing a letter that is just telling the story because we're humans. This business is about relationships. It tells the story of the buyer and why they really want this house and why they fell in love with it. And sometimes it shows pictures and it shows their dog and blah, blah, blah. So y'all elaborate on that. Powers that be kind of recognized over the summer when um, certain equality issues were at the forefront of uh, the nation that these buyer love letters, as they call them, with pictures of the buyers may actually violate fair housing rules, federal fair housing rules. And so they have put out advisories saying that we shouldn't be using those letters as a tool to persuade the seller to choose one offer over another. And the reality is it puts the seller in a position of potentially exercising a bias against a protected class. And I actually did a write-up on all this, and I forget the actual formal terms that it, it talks about, but there, we actually have now a, a fair housing advisory that our sellers and buyers have to sign as a part of their packages for the, the listing and for the, the purchase agreement that advises about these letters being uh, possible fair housing violations. With all that said, that doesn't mean that agents aren't still using them. You know, right. Just because it's not allowed doesn't mean that the rules aren't being broken on a regular basis. And that's sort of part of the challenge in our current situation is everybody is looking for an edge and an angle. And some of these letters are, yeah. are seriously persuasive and they have been successful. They've, I've used them successfully in the past. Yeah. And so a strategy I use just real quick is, is in the email. I mean, I usually put a nice package together in the email that I send over with the package. I just say, Hey, look, you know, new fair housing rules or the fair housing rules don't allow us to do a letter about our buyers where I'm happy to send a picture after you accept our offer or something like that, because I want the seller to know that we're being compliant with the rules. We can't be sending, you know, this information over because we don't want to put you in a compromised position, which then makes them wonder if they should be looking at the other letters because they could get in trouble for yeah. their housing violations. So anyway, what's your thoughts, Lizzie? I agree a hundred percent. We don't have a, a form that we have to sign yet, but it's in the making. Okay. And I can send you one. in my experience, most recent listing, we received a letter with the, with an offer told my seller, they sent you a letter. Let's look at all the offers first and then make your decision. I felt like it might persuade the seller a little, and I, I didn't want that to happen. Sure. To put the best That's, foot forward yeah. for their client and, you know, right. that. And it's just right. something we need to be aware of. Um, right. hey, well, one thing right. I want to touch on real quick, because you brought it up, was buyer representation agreements. One thing that's happening that I think your your buyers that are listening need to be aware of uh, in our industry is that the, I don't want to get into how the commission structure works in detail, but listing agents are starting to short buyer agents on the commission. The, 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 the commission comes from yeah. the listing side. And so um, they're starting to make those Cur amounts. Let me, let me clarify. Currently in the U.S., in other countries, it does not. Point <laughs> being that it's not something new. So it's not like, what? Where is this coming from? I just, that's the part. It's like sometimes people are like, well, this is crazy. No, really, it's not. It's been going along around for a long time. We're just slow to catch up. So. And the Department of Justice is working on changing that in the United States. And this is even more, I think, important for buyers to understand that as 
the listing side of the buyer agent commission starts to either dwindle or completely go away, the buyer agents are going to be coming to the buyers with this buyer representation agreement. And in the buyer representation agreement is a commission percentage that a lot of buyers don't realize exists there. So what it means in today's market right now is that let's say a buyer signs a buyer representation agreement and that buyer agent put 3% in the commission you know, space that the buyer was is willing to pay that agent 3% if they're not compensated that 3% from the listing side, that buyer just signed up to pay, depending upon the price point of the house they're purchasing, thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars out of their pocket to that, that buyer's agent. And again, the way it works is that the listing agents are cutting down the buyer agent commission. And so the buyer through the buyer representation agreement is making up the difference. And if it's, it could be 1% that's provided by the listing side. And then all of a sudden the buyers now signed up for 2% of say a million dollars. That's 20 grand here in California. I think that's another thing that buyers, sellers for that matter should really do is read and understand what they're signing because I mean, I've, I've run into it with my agents coming to me saying, Hey, my buyer just got, stolen by another agent from another company who had a off-market deal, made them sign a, a buyer representation agreement so they could show them that off-market deal. And in the process, signed them up for a year. And they that buyer didn't know yeah. that they had signed up and committed to that other individual for an entire year with a 3% uh, commission that they were agreeing to. They, they wow. It wasn't explained to them. And that yeah. stuff happens. And so as a buyer, you need to- Yes, it you know, does. Spend for yourself and read what you're signing before you sign it and understand it. So let's wrap this up. And I would love to get y'all's insights, feelings, you know, predictions. Again, I know we don't have a glass fortune telling ball. I mean, and I'll go first. This is going to be another strong market. I think it's going to be even stronger than last year, regardless of the inventory struggles and all of that, of course, as always, is going to depend on rates. They are still saying that, and I put that in quotation marks, that they're not going to be adjusting the rates this year, but I don't believe that. I do think in our typical October timeframe, there is possibly yeah. going to be an adjustment uh, because I do feel like with where the COVID numbers are going, all of those things, the, the vaccinations, all of those things that are playing into our ability to feel safe. And, and there is no, this is normal. This is our, you know, like even Fauci saying we're yeah. going to be wearing masks until 2022 through the end, you know, whatever. So I feel like this year is going to be still a very strong year, still very much a seller's market. I do feel like more towards the summer when it does open up, there's going to be a dip in action because people are going to feel like they can now go take those vacations or visit family or those types of things. So where normally, while we do sometimes slow in, in the summer, I think it's going to be slightly drastic. So what do you, how do y'all feel about that? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, actually. I think we're going to see as more and more people get vaccinated, we're going to see some movement. I 100% agree that the first move is going to be family barbecue 
again, right? <laughs> we all miss our families and our gatherings and things like that. My mother is already saying, we're going to have a humongous birthday party and celebrate everybody's birthdays. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's adorable. Because we miss everyone's celebrations. And so, you know, I think, I think once that calms down and people are feeling uh, satisfied that they're okay, you know, our lives are back, we're going to start seeing some, some uh, a crazy, crazy market. It's going to be busy. I really do think so. I really do. But not until after we've got uh, that shot in the arm, right? No, I agree. Real estate forecast, huh? I think everybody has a different view and it's really hard to know. Stop that crystal ball. Well, I, I, I mean, out here in California, we have a lot of sunny days and still the weather forecast is wrong a lot of times. And so for me, it's like, what's the point? I look at it from the standpoint, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is this the market for you as a buyer? Is this a market for you as a seller? One of the challenges we have with low inventory is if I sell here in California, I'll make a lot of equity in the house I bought in 1993. But guess what? I have nowhere to go. So I'm not going to sell. So the market, you know, in terms of individual sales or individual buyers and sellers, it's specific to their needs in their case by case situation. I've always laughed at um, these marketing statements of, you know, it's a great time to buy. And then the other side of their mouth, they're saying it's a great time to sell. And in, in right now, it's kind of like that where you have a very low interest rate and your so your monthly payment is low, yet that allows for the prices of houses to go up. But at the end of the day, yeah. that's not a good market for somebody who doesn't have a lot of cash. And that's the market you need to be able to play in right now if, if you're going to make things happen in California. So, um, you know, I feel that it's it, like if I was in in the real estate game right now and knew that I was going to have to come in a hundred thousand dollars or something like that over to get into a place here, I would look somewhere else, maybe out of state. Cause it's hard to find cash flow properties here in California. I'd start investing in cash flow properties. I'd start putting the money to work and building that cash flow so that when the market does come down, cause it's cyclical, it's, you know, we've been subsidizing this market for a long time with low interest rates at one point in time, about two years ago, they were looking at pushing the interest rate up a little bit. Things got a little bit iffy. So they kind of like, you know, put the kibosh on it. And so I feel like, you know, if I was in the market, for me personally at least, I'd start looking for cash flow properties, work those for a while until the market was a little bit more uh, attractive to, you know, a more normalized kind of situation. You know, I live by the coast. So at the end of the day, the saying here is you can't go wrong by the coast. You know, it's always going to be a great investment here. So it's just a question of what's right for you as a buyer or a seller. And so there's homes that sell and homes that are bought each and every day. Right. And that to me is what is something we have to look forward to for the upcoming year. And that's my forecast. (laughs) No, I love it. And part of that, part of the, we all need a place to live. Right. And part of the purpose of the question is there were a lot of people two years ago that were sitting there going, oh, it's such a bubble, you know, like I'm going to sell now because it's getting ready to crash or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, imagine how much more they would have made if they would have not played this forecast game. The, The truth is, is that COVID has created habits that aren't 
normal for real estate. None of us, I don't care how long you've been in the business, have ever been in this kind of market. Our business 100% is cyclical and COVID has leveled the playing field for every agent out there. Zero experience to decades of experience. So with that said, it is absolutely what Bill said and what Lizzie said that it is, it's just a great time to be in this market um, from the rates allowing you to not do what we did in 2006 and seven and overbuy for our ability to purchase, but still buy in that price range that gives you more money in your pocket every day. And then also for sellers to absolutely, you know, max out what they, you know, like Bill, if he were to sell his house. I mean, if I was in Bill's place and he was prepared with his family uh, to, to go somewhere, I'd rent for the next year and, and invest that money, as you just said, into a cash flow property. We can close up. Thank you both for, hey, for having us. Oh, Great. no, I, I love these conversations. So much. Always both- fun. Yeah, you both bring so much experience and diversity into the conversation. So thank you. And uh, for any of those that are need to reach out uh, to either Bill or Lizzie, you will find their contact information in the show notes. But your beach broker Bill on Instagram and Lizzie is Lizzie Palma Realtor. So thank you and best to all of you out there in the buying world. Awesome. See you guys. Love y'all. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Experiment Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. And as always, follow me on Instagram at Laura Dowdy underscore L-E for live excellence. Go make a difference, y'all. The world needs you.